All right, today we are going to Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, flip over to chapter 2. We're going to be looking today at 42 through 47. So I want to give you a disclaimer or some ground rules, okay, because today we're talking about community. And I know there is a thing in the church at large that when we start to talk about community, some of us are like, yes, and some of us are like, okay, I think this is the wrong Sunday for me to be here, you know, and running away. You can feel that way as an extrovert. You can feel that way as an introvert. Sometimes we have relationships that went badly that, uh, or woundings that happened or whatnot that caused us to be like, you know what, I don't really need people in my life up close to me. So I want to give you a disclaimer that that's what we're talking about, and I want to give you a ground rule. Today we're not looking back. We're looking forward, okay? We're not listening to what I'm going to share with you today, thinking about all of your other relationships that you're not in relationship with anymore. We're looking at today looking forward to what's to come, okay? I know for me, I've had a lot of relationships that have gone really well for a while and then did not go well after a while. And it's painful, right? It's hard when you love somebody deeply and then for whatever reason, your lives, your, your paths, you know, separate and they go on to live their life and you go on to live your life. And then if we're not tending to our heart, we can kind of carry that into future relationships. We can become more guarded. We can become more isolated. We can just kind of be like, you know, been there, done that. Really don't need to do that again, right? Anybody? Just me? Cool. <laughs> right, I know, I know, you all are nodding along with me. And so I want to make sure, that before we even get into this, that you guys are paying attention to the fact that what happened in the past does not necessarily mean it will happen in the future, okay? When we love well and we give our hearts to people, sometimes that doesn't end the way that we want it to, but that doesn't mean that it can't end well in a different type of setting, okay? All right, everybody breathe a sigh of relief. It's going to be good. We can do this together. Okay, so today we're talking about Acts 2, 42 through 47, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. I'd love for you to read it along in your own Bible. And here we go. So you don't have to read it out loud, but I'm going to read it to you. It says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Other, your translation probably says those who were getting saved. So that is lofty, right? That's a lofty uh, thing to try to do and emulate. And I want to break this down because remember I shared with you guys last week in this whole series as we're reading through Acts, we're asking two questions. Do you guys remember what they are? Number one, we're asking what, it, what happened here, right? What, let's, what are the facts? The second question we're asking is what does it mean to me? How do, how do I apply this to my life? How is this relevant to me today? So I want to break down some of the what's happening here for you before we talk about what this means for us. A couple of things you may not know. The book of Acts is broken, it's, it's written over, the 28 chapters are written over a 30-year time frame, okay? 
So a lot of us read it without knowing that, thinking, wow, this happened so fast, and it was like things were exploding all over the place, and normal life was non-existent whatsoever, and that's not necessarily true. From chapter 1 to about 10 is about a 10-year scope. From 10 to 19 is another 10 years. 19 to 28 is another 10 years. So here we are in chapter 2. We're a few years into the story of after Pentecost, right, with the tongues of fire. So that's a little bit of context. All right. Another thing you need to know is the temple at that time was still functioning. Even though Jesus had died, rose from the dead, and fulfilled the law, most of the Jews, right, remember we talked at Passover, we're talking like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people flocking to the temple every year at Passover, remember? There's a lot of Jewish people in this area, okay? So we only have 120 in the upper room at Passover, I mean at Pentecost, then we've got 3,000 being baptized here in I think the next chapter, somewhere right around here, right, or right before that. So we're not talking about, we're talking about a very small fraction of all of the Jewish people at the time. The ones who had not been saved yet were still going to the temple fulfilling their normal everyday Jewish life, okay? And honestly, the ones who had been saved were also still going to the temple fulfilling their everyday Jewish life. So in the temple, there were three prayer times that were available for you to come to every day. Remember, jobs back then, you didn't clock in nine to five, right? It was like you tended to your farm or your sheep or whatnot. You could easily go over and jump into the temple to pray, come back, do some more work, go back to pray, okay? So when we're talking about them praying together every day and being together every day, there was like a system already in place where they were gathering together every day, okay? If you've ever seen the way that the, uh, that the Jews lived in Israel at the time, most of their houses, not everyone, but most of their houses were essentially like apartment complexes. So think apartment complex with a shared kitchen between like four units, okay? So you were never alone, right? Our world here in Oklahoma City where you can drive for five minutes on the way to something and not see anything but grass, this was incredibly foreign to the Israelites at the time right? So the concept of, of being in community and this style of community was in some ways more natural than it would be for us because they're literally rubbing against each other all the time. They're all going to the same place to pray every day, all of that. So here's some, that's some context for you. Three times of prayer, nine, noon, and three. That's the best understanding of when we, you can go through several verses in the Bible that talk about Nine, the first hour, the first watch, excuse me, was the nine o'clock hour. Then they do prayer at noon. They would do prayer at three. Interesting tidbit for you, little fun fact. If you're looking at the stories in the book of Acts, a lot of these stories actually take place at these three hours, which I think is really fun. At Pentecost, when the tongues of fire happened, that was at the nine o'clock hour. Um, when we see Peter getting his vision to that with the four-footed animals, knowing that the gospel can go to the Gentiles, I think that was at the three o'clock hour. There's other stories where it happens when they're in prayer, and they're in prayer at this nine, noon, and three time frame. Okay, let's see. Any other cultural things before we get moving on? All right, I think that's a, a good way to sum it all up. There's other things we could break into, but I don't want to spend too much time on that. So, I want to say before we even jump into anything harder, anything farther, community is hard. Family is hard, right? And family, we have this like, in, with, your, with your children, you have this like bond that really can't be broken. You have a blood relationship, or if you have an adopted child that's set in stone, you can't ever, they, they're always yours, right? It can never be reneged. Grant's adopted, and no matter what, his parents could never disown him, even if they wanted to. It's just the law, right? And then for parents that, are, that have blood children, 
your blood binds you together in the same way, right? And so even in the midst of that, that covenant aspect that comes with family, family is really hard. So if we're talking about friendships, we're taking the hard factor all the way up to a way, way more intense, right? Community is just really hard. And I want to say before we get into how this flushes out, your individualness matters to God. Your personality, your gifting mix, we just spent the last four months talking about that, right? Your persona, your whether you like to be with people, not like to be with people, how you do your finances, all of that individualness to you really matters to God. Sometimes when we hear messages on this section of scripture, it almost is like the people are teaching that you're supposed to set aside all of your individuality for the sake of the whole, but those models never really last because we have this innate desire to be our individual person by God, right? But we can't only focus on ourselves because community can't happen. So I want to make a note that there is this interesting balance between the two. A lot of cults really happen because of this concept right here where it says they, um, they, they met everybody's needs, right? They pooled all their resources to meet everybody's needs. There's a lot of cults that have taken that verse and use that as license to say, you give me all your money and we'll all decide where it goes. And by we, I just mean me, right? And that's not right either. That's one portion of a whole section. And it wasn't even, I want to say here, I love how the Passion Translation um, in verse 45 says, out of generosity, they even sold their homes, right? This was an individual decision to contribute to this place, okay? All right. This is such a weighty chunk of scripture, so it's, i got to take my time to get my thoughts right. All right, I want to say another thing about this section, what's happening here. I personally believe what's happening here is a miracle in and of itself. I mean, if you really think about it, being with the same people every day, that's a miracle, right, for long amounts of time. That can be a miracle. And sometimes we look at the scripture and we say, okay, this is what we're trying to make happen. But what I believe is happening here is that in these verses that the presence of God came and this was the miracle that flowed out of the presence of God coming. Okay, so if we're trying to make this happen apart from the presence of God, it's probably not going to work, right? It's a, it's a byproduct miracle. Now, it's listed here in Acts because I believe every miracle listed here in Acts is something that we can go after, we can pray into, we can say, Lord, we want to see that happen in our midst, and we should do that. But if it's not happening exactly like this, there could be an aspect of the God component happening there right? If you're talking about honoring your individualness, and then you're talking about trying to say, okay, we're going to start meeting together every single day, and we're all going to give each other money, and you're like, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm, that's, that's not what I want to do, right? And then that, that, that clash of your persona and your individualness that God honors and the sake of the community, and it's like, well, how, does, how do we make this happen? So I've been a part of several different churches in my life, and I've seen community happen lots of different ways. I've watched it happen with friends of mine churches in lots of different ways. We've, we, when we were in Waco, we were um, in a community where it was very normal to live with lots of people. I think in Grant and I's almost 14 years of marriage, we've had something like 37 people live with us at different points of time. That's a lot of people. Um, one summer we had eight boys live with us. That was smelly. 
And then we've had a number of girls live with us too. And there was this idea, and, and a lot of what was fueling it was, hey, let's be a community of believers together. But even living together, that individual component had to be respected, right? And I make that statement because as we talk about moving forward, now I'm not saying we're supposed to all live together, so don't even jump to that conclusion yet. But when we talk about it, I, I'm going to hammer this individual point because I think there's something in us that gets scared when we talk about community because we almost feel like, do I have to lose a sense? of myself, right? Do I have to like change who I am to fit the vibe of whatever group? And a lot of us are like, well, I'm not going to do that. So then we just resist being together altogether. And I don't want us to do that either, right? We want to be in a healthy balance here. So why do we need community? Okay. Community is essential because our culture is what shapes us. Most of you guys know that I was in Disneyland this last week, and as we were walking into the parks, I think it was the first day, you know, you're with thousands of people, and they're all wearing some sort of Mickey something on their body. And it's like, you know, people have got, I had my leggings on, other people are wearing shirts, any kind of Disney shirt, any kind of Disney movie that has, like, merchandise, somebody is wearing it. They've got necklaces with pins of all kinds of Disney movies on it. It's like everywhere. The hats, the kids are all decked in, you know, head to toe, and hats and face paint and backpacks. Everything is Mickey. And I looked at McCoby as we were walking in there and I said, McCoby, this gives me hope for the church, right? That we can, that, that somehow Disney has been able to indoctrinate millions of people around the globe that this is cool, that this is what you should do. And I own these things. So, I mean, I'm one of those people who's been indoctrinated by this, you know, that, that this is like, I need something with Mickey Mouse on it. When I come to Disneyland, I don't feel right unless I'm wearing those, that mouse on me somewhere. This is weird, Right right? But it's a culture. And so you get there and everybody's doing it. And whether you thought you liked it or not, now you want to because everybody's doing it. There's a strength component that happens in numbers. Your individualness is important. But when there's a strength that happens in numbers. When everybody is praying to see something happen, something you may not have even cared much about, now you want to pray to see that happen. Why? Because you start to care about the people on your left and your right. And there's like this camaraderie thing that we're all wired for right? You can pick any, like, you can pick any pop culture reference. The strength that comes in the numbers where people just start, like, oh, that's okay. I'll do that. I'll jump on that bandwagon. And sometimes they don't even know the bandwagon that they're jumping on. But the power of the strength in this way, I believe God designed us to want to mimic each other because when we are functioning in a healthy community, we mimic each other towards Christ-likeness, right? When we're in a healthy community and we're all going after the same thing, then when you've got other people going after it, all of a sudden your own defenses, your own you know, questions, you can kind of set those aside to taste, taste the water a little bit and go after it because there's strength in numbers. Common goals help us actually get to where we're going. They just do right? We can have a perspective. This is what I want to see in my life. When we were talking about the fivefold giftings a few weeks ago, and you start thinking, okay, I want to see this gift being stewarded in my life, like Grant was talking about, which was so powerful, right? And so you make a goal. I want to, I want to do this to steward it or whatever. How many of you in the last two, three weeks have had trouble going after that goal because you're doing it on your own? Because then all of a sudden, when it's just you, and it's just you deciding for yourself, it's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. I mean, it's a cool goal, but, you know. But what happens if we all decided we're going to see this? 
right? And then now we can start actually moving towards the goal. I'm not, you know, fulfilling it's a different story, but we can start making steps towards it because now I start to feel bad that you're on your way and I said I was and I haven't done anything yet. And I'm not talking about guilt or any of that. I'm talking about just a healthy sense of togetherness. Another reason why we need community, accountability grows us up and it builds us up. One of the ways that we like shy away from community is that we don't like when people tell us something we're doing wrong. But I want to reframe accountability in your mind as this. We're not pointing out the way you sin. We're calling you to who you really are, right? So I know all of you probably at some point have been in an accountability setting where somebody was like, you just did this. And you're sitting there going, well, that hurts so bad. I remember one situation for me several years ago. And um, I had made a decision that I thought was so good. And I mean, I really thought it was like the better of several decisions. And it wasn't even really a sin issue. It was just kind of like a... I don't even, I still don't think it was a wrong decision, so I don't know. But in, <laughs> just being honest, but in this, the person who was my leader pulled me aside one day and she said, she just started railing me about this. And she, I know her heart was to be like kind and like try to help me see from a different perspective, but it was all about what I had done. It wasn't about, this is who you are. This is how you're perceived. This is right. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I walked away from that just flat out mad. And honestly, a little bit like, well, I guess I'm just not going to tell you next time, <laughs> you know? And that's why, that's where accountability fails us. But where it helps us is when we start to say, listen, your individualness matters. And God is after you a hundred times more than I could ever be. And so I'm not going to let myself get worked up when you're on your journey, just like I hope you don't get worked up when I'm on my journey. And in that place, then we can call each other higher. And, and if it needs to come up and we're in our, we're all together, we're moving towards a common goal, we're actually taking steps towards it. And it's like, well, why do you do that? That's interesting, right? And so we can stop and say, well, talk to me about where that came from. Okay, so this is who God says you are. How does that measure up? right? And all of a sudden, you're led into a process where you're participating in that instead of just being told you're flat out wrong. I remember Graham Cook um, <laughs> saying one time about small groups, he was talking about one of the small groups that he led, he did at a bar, at a wine club. I don't even, we don't, I don't even know if we have those here. I don't, I personally am not an alcohol liker, so I don't drink. Most of it's because I just feel like I'm dying every time I do, so it's just not worth it to me. Um, but I know people who do enjoy alcoholic beverages who are really godly people, and I'm like, great, if you enjoy that, go for it. I'm not not drinking because I think you're wrong. I'm not drinking because I really don't want to throw up in front of you. It's really just that simple. And, um, and I remember Graham Cook saying this thing about, <laughs> he said, yeah, I like to have my small group at this wine bar because while we're all drinking, it becomes really obvious who has a problem with drinking. And I thought, well, that will really mess with you, right? Your paradigm of hold your drinking over here where nobody can see it, and then you come to church, and then you happen to be out on your anniversary dinner having a glass of wine or whatever, and somebody from church comes, and then you're having like, ha, kind of moment, right? Why do we do that? I don't know. We do, but we shouldn't. But anyways, I digress. So I was thinking about this for like two years after that because I thought, what would that look like in Oklahoma? Now, he's in California, so there's a little bit different of a – culture there, right? In Oklahoma, we have this idea of what a Christian should be. Even if it's not true, we have this idea a Christian never smokes, never drinks, never gets a tattoo. <laughs> We're way off on that one in this room, <laughs> right? We have these ideas, and instead of going, you can't, you can't, you can't, what we need to be going is, well, why? Why, why do you do that? 
Okay, so if you smoke, and this is not to step on your toes to make you feel bad. It's just to use an example because I don't know maybe I don't know if any of you do smoke, but I'm just going to tell you. If you smoke, why do you feel that need to smoke? What's happening, the anxiety that leads you to that, whatever it is, why is that, that you would jeopardize your health for something that feels like a vice, right? And you get into the understanding instead of just saying, well, Christians don't do that, out, right? If you drink, and you drink a lot. So why do you drink a lot? What happens in you that feels good to you in that place? And you see what I'm saying? That's accountability. We can't accomplish that if we're only seeing each other on Sunday mornings and we're never out living real life and you can never see. I think that's what Graham Cook was trying to get at by saying sometimes I have my small group at a wine club is I want to see you in your element. I want to be, not just see you to judge you because that's not true, but to be around you in who you really are. Um, You know, it's like this. When you go on vacation, are you a different person completely on vacation than you are at home? And why? Some people, they go out, they're like a very straight-laced person. They go out of town and they're just like, wow, like crazy. And you go, wait a second, I didn't even know you had that in you. Where does that come from, right? So then then instead of going, well, you shouldn't do that, you back it up and you say, so what about it being at home makes you feel so constricted? right? And we call you to who you really are instead of calling you into this perception of what we think you should be. All right, that's accountability. One last thought on why we need community. There, uh, yeah, so I talked a little bit about their strength in numbers, but what I didn't say yet is that one of the things that comes in our strength, in our numbers, in our togetherness, and I don't even mean like a lot of numbers, but just when you're not the only one, is when you have a real need, like you need healing, you need to be empowered, you need freedom. Sometimes you you can only get that by walking it out with other people, by having someone to say, man, I just keep failing and failing and failing. And when you can say that to someone that you know really holds you in their heart, like all these things I was just talking about, isn't put off by how, what, your, what check boxes you're checking or not checking, but they're just saying, man, you're on your journey and I'm, I'm standing alongside of you in that journey, then, I can, then, then it gives you a place of freedom to be able to say, this is my junk. And it is every bit of what junk is, Right? There's no one on the face of the earth that is, has like the most pristine junk closet you've ever seen. Everybody has something. And it's actually a promise from God that in your weakness, his strength is perfected, right? I think we talked about this a little bit last week. But he does that on purpose so that you don't ever get to that place of perfection. Because he wants to consistently be displayed in you. And so if we think to ourselves, the more we just hide it away, it'll just go away. That's not true, right? It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you could ha- it could be... Lord knows the most random things, but to you, even if it doesn't feel big to somebody else, to you it's a big thing. And the way that you move through it is by having people in your life you can talk to about it. All right. Um, I know I'm not going verse by verse in this, but um, here we go. Let's talk about how do we get community, okay? So we're looking at this section in Acts and all these things that they're doing. They're worshiping together. They're praying together. They're going up to the temple to pray together. They're listening to the apostles' teaching. Um, one translation, um, the Greek word didache, I think is what, how you say it, didache. I don't know. It means skilled instruction and training. There's a training component. So why do you need apostles' teaching? To train you. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. We're all here to equip you to do the work of Jesus, right? 
It's how you fulfill the Great Commission in your life. And so they're, they're listening to that instruction. They're being trained. They're sharing communion with each other. Out of their generosity, they're giving to people's needs. They're being aware that, you know, somebody else doesn't have as much as them, and they're willing to help them out. I love this verse 43, a deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And lots of miracles were being performed. They shared meals together. And this wasn't just communion, but it also included communion. There was this element of when we are together, we are expecting Jesus to show up in our midst. Just a few chapters before, he was showing up in their midst all the time, right? And so they're continuing on in that with the spirit of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, expressing that together. Um, okay, so how do we get commun- community? I've got eight tips for you. Uh, and these are really good. So <laughs> the first one is this, patience and commitment. So I don't know about you, but when you were a kid, did you play sports? Anybody play some sort of sport or do something that you were like in a club or a team, right? And there's this immediate sense of bond, or even if you're just in your own classroom, there's a sense of camaraderie because we're united together by this one thing. This is my soccer team. This is my class. This is my whatever. Even if you don't like those people, you have this sense of community with them because you're bound under the umbrella, right? As we grow and age, and we don't participate in those type of things as much, we lose that sense of, like, unitedness, right? And so what we, I think what we forget is that to build relationships takes a lot of time. It does. Like, it just does. I read um, a, an article the other day, actually it was a couple weeks ago, about a woman who was saying she joined a, a group of moms, and it was five years, this was like the five-year anniversary of this group starting. There were six of them, I think. And she said, um, you know, when I was presented with the opportunity to join this group, I thought, that's the last thing I need. I am just tired. I'm too busy. The last thing I want to do is go sit around with other moms and just sit. And, uh, and she said, but something in my heart said I needed to go. And so I started going. And the first several months, I continually thought to myself, why am I here? I don't really want to be here. Five years later, she's like, these are my best friends. They're actually like my family, even though their kids aren't even all friends because their kids are various ages or whatnot. She said, but I found a support system in here. And this is what she said. She said, the thing that is the definitive moment for me was making the commitment to go with the journey of a group forming right? The patience that it takes to allow time to get to know somebody. And so we, and I want to say to you, I'm asking you to look at community here at Bethel with a patient, committed heart. Why? Because number two, sometimes we judge people and sometimes we're wrong, right? We get around somebody in a certain setting and we make an assessment. Well, they're like this or they're like, or, you know what it usually is? It's, are you like me or are you not like me? It's sort of the us and them thing, right? Like we're, in, we're even like chit-chatting about nothing, peppermints, and you just have that moment where you're like, well, we're not the same. And it's not even about that person being like bad about them. It's just that, that self, you know, individualness that God loves. And it's just going, well, you know, we're not really the same. And so with, when, when we don't capture that thought, we just start to distance. So now I sit on the other side of the room from you. And in a church this size, which we're small, it's, it would be shocking for you all to know how little you all know each other. Honestly. Even though we're together here every Sunday, you know, we're, to, we're participating in events together and whatnot. But, but it's that, I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's that initial, well, we're not really the same. Or, well, they don't worship how I do. Or, well, they don't, you know, their gifting looks weird to me. Whatever your excuse is, it puts up a little bit of a wall where then we don't want to take the time to get to know that person. 
right? And so when commitment comes into play, it's like we, like I said at the beginning of this, we start going through our mind, ah, that doesn't sound good to me. You know, I think I just won't go, right? And so what I want to say to you is, please withhold your judgment until you've taken time to get to know somebody. And then, I mean, I can't give you permission to judge. But then you can make an assessment, right? The Bible says the measure you judge, it'll be judged. You'll, that's how you'll be judged. So let's just keep that as the level playing field. But it's okay to know that some people you just don't enjoy spending time with, okay? I'm going to tell you that here. It's okay to know that. But sometimes, point number three, it's not about you. Okay, so when we're talking about community at church, sometimes your place in a community is to give out something to somebody else, not necessarily to have all of your needs be met in that one time. All right, so patience, withhold judgment. I skipped ahead. The real number three is this. Don't listen to your past. The thing about relationships is they're so tricky. We all have that situation that happened that was so hurtful. And in that situation becomes the voice that we listen to. I, I have these too, so I understand how this feels. I have lots of people that I've laid my life down in terms, what, what do I mean by that? Like I've just, I've served them, I've brought them into my home, I've loved them, we've spent lots of time together just developing relationship and then something happens or, you know, a few of them made really poor choices and they just are like, I can't be around you anymore and I'm sitting here going, well that was really painful and why would I do that again? right? That's a natural response. But you don't have to listen to that. You can learn from that and then move forward. You can learn from that by doing things we call boundaries, right? By recognizing, okay, so what did I do in that situation that maybe wasn't so healthy? Maybe I put too much expectation on them. Maybe I didn't consider their individualness, whatever, you know, there's lots of things. But when you have a painful moment, the best thing you can do is look back at it and go, okay, what can I grab from that to move me forward? And then let's move forward. Let's not take that and then never love anybody else in the future. Or let's not take that situation and then always stay really guarded and jaded, right? We have to give people a chance to surprise us. All right, number six, I just said this. Deal with your feelings, the rejection, the abandonment, the anger, the jealousy, etc. You got to deal with it. Number seven, it's not about you all the time. And then number eight, this is the best one I can give you, patience. But wait, wasn't that number one? Yeah, it was because it's that important. I want to say that even for those of you guys that have been coming to this church for a long time and you still don't know other people, right? Sometimes you need to give yourself patience to get to know somebody. Like go get lunch with them, coffee with them, and then tell yourself, I am being patient to listen to their story, to hear what they're interested in, and to just look at them from God's eyes. I love the definition of honor that says I'm not, it's, it's, it's seeing somebody as who God sees them to be, not stumbling over who they're not. The truth of the matter is every single one of us is on a journey. I hope next year in May we are so much more sanctified than we are today. Some of us probably won't be. It's just kind of how it happens, right? And so even for those that aren't continuing to move forward, man, they need community the most. And for some reason, those are the people we just don't want to be around. <laughs> but if we're looking at people, and I'm not saying that about any of you. It's a blanket statement. Um, but when we look at people the way Jesus looks at them, when we make the choice to see the gold that's inside of you and to not judge you right away, to not condemn you for the journey that you're on, even though it's different than my journey. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Okay, so Natalie had this picture in our pre-service prayer time, which I thought was so interesting and so good. And she said, I see a picture of, like, when we're talking about community, that all these bricks on a wall, and all the bricks have everybody in here's name on them. And every person makes a brick on this wall. And she said, when you step back, I might not be explaining it exactly as she saw it. But when you step back and you look, this brick became like a wall that was like a fortress and it couldn't be shaken and the gates of hell couldn't prevail against it. But also when people were able to come inside of that fortress, they became protected. They became um, able to grow in their journey because they had, again, that strength in numbers thing that we were talking about. I want to say to you that our community can't work if you choose not to participate in it. Like if half the room just says, well, I'm introverted, so no. Guys, that's lame. Can I just be really honest for a second? I'm sort of post-vacation lagging in the brain power department. But that's the best way that I can say it, right? Like let me just put it as bluntly as I can. Who are you to say that somebody doesn't need to hear your story? I mean, honestly, right? There's parts of my story that I don't want to share. There's things in my life that are just flat out embarrassing, but I share them when it's appropriate because I genuinely believe there's other people that need to see that you can overcome some of the things that you went through, that you can make better decisions when you made bad decisions before, right? That's the beauty of community. But if you withhold yourself, then all of us lose. Really, you know? I love, Randy was saying a couple weeks ago at the end of Grant's message talking about the freedom to fail and how failure stinks. (laughs) And it's true, right? And when we fail, what do we want to do? We want to hide in our turtle shell and pretend like nobody sees anything that we just did and be like, well, I'm just going to, you know, on our first night of our our trip, Caitlin and McCoby came with us to help us with our kids, which was miraculous um, because there's so many of them. And uh, (laughs) just kidding. Um, but the first night, Grace was just crying. We were trying to walk back to the hotel, and I was getting really stressed. When she cries like that, it really stresses me out, and I was losing my cool a little bit. And I was having this internal battle of, like, the, the, the flesh is coming out, and I don't want it to come out in front of people who I love, right? And Grant has seen the flesh. All your spouses have seen your real flesh, and they learn how to cope around, you know, we all learn how to cope around your prickly points, right? But I'm sitting here thinking, well, they, they've heard me talk about it, but they've probably never seen me do it. And it's like coming out of me and I'm having this, this half second internal battle. And then I thought, you know what? This is really me in this moment. This is a really stressful moment to me. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm perfect in this area of my life because I'm not. And anybody that knows me really well knows I'm still learning how to experience the grace of God when the stress is what I'm really feeling right? And so I just kind of had this moment, and then we moved on, and then we were talking about towards the end of the trip, and I was like, it's so refreshing to be able to be myself and know that you're going to love me in the midst of it. Does that give me permission to sin against people? No, it gives me permission to be real. You guys know the difference, right? This, the, the, my favorite definition of real community is this. It's not about how well you are when you're on your best behavior, Real community is when you can disagree with somebody and still love them and be with them anyway. How many of you with family or your spouses have a a thing that you don't agree on? It's just that thing, right? I'm not even going to bring it up right now because all the feelings will come up right at the moment. And you've somehow learned to put that thing to to the side for the sake of your relationship. We can do that in this community as well. We can be able to say, you know what, I really just do not see it like that. Like you may look at this scripture and you may say to me, Rachel, this is the command of the Lord. This is what we're supposed to do. And I could say to you, great. 
my interpretation of this scripture is that this was a miraculous thing happening that God was doing in their midst. It goes on for a little while, and then pretty much when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead, this community also dropped dead. Um, and, and then shortly after that, they were all dispersed around because of the persecution got so heavy. And this, But then we don't actually see this type of community being lived out the rest of the Bible. Right? And so although I do believe this is something we should go for, we should let God take us to, it's not the law of how community is supposed to be lived out. It was a miraculous thing that he did. Can he do it again? Of course. Should we ask him to? No doubt. Right? But to look at this, but you might say, well, I don't see it like that. And I can say, that's great. I don't need to break my relationship over you because we disagree on an interpretation of a scripture. I may not talk about this scripture with you, right, for the sake of our relationship, but we don't have to agree on it. And so, okay, I've harped enough. All right, so let me tell you uh, one, two things, and then we're going to actually spend a few minutes just praying over community in particular. Can I just say, can you imagine what would happen if, like, two people in the room just dropped dead? Like, no wonder that community was killed, (laughs) right? Like, the day by day being, I just can't even imagine the amount of suspicion that would start happening. Like, what, you know, have you told the truth? Have you told the truth? There was a, this uh, Passion Translation says that that moment in Acts 5, if you don't know the story, it's it's fascinating literature. Um, And I would have loved to have seen this take place, although I probably would have been traumatized. But, um, but it says the whole church was filled with mega fear. The actual translation of that word, the fear of the Lord came on them, was mega fear. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Jesus, that hopefully that was a one-time thing. Um, okay, we are, excuse me, we are going to be starting community groups that we're not calling them community groups. I don't know what we're calling them yet. If you got any good ideas, let me know. We're probably just going to call them groups. Yeah, Caitlin's, Caitlin wants to call them G's. That, that could be for the younger people. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but here's what's in my heart. This is not totally fleshed out yet, okay? But I just want to tell you that we, we feel like, Grant and I have been talking about this last month or so, we feel like the Lord is opening a window or a door for us to walk through in terms of community to, sh- to shift our approach of how we have approached community in the past. And we've gone, if you've been here from the beginning, you've been around the mountain a few times of what community looks like here at Bethel. And it's all for very good reasons. And there are things that work in different sizes and things that don't. And, and also in the midst of that, we've been really saying, Lord, we want to know what you're saying. And I'll just let you in on a little secret of what it's like to co-pastor a church with your spouse. Um, if you don't both agree on something, you just set it to the side. Because we genuinely believe that the Lord, when it's God, we both are on the same page about it, right? And that's one of the boundaries or whatever guidelines that God has given us of how to do this. And this aspect of community for four and a half, five years now, we have not been able to agree on. And for various reasons, one time I'll be saying, this is what I feel like God is saying, and Grant will say, it's not that, it's this. And we'll go around the mountain a few times, and it's like, we just, no, neither one of us feel like that's the Lord. So we set it aside again. What can we agree on in the meantime? Because community is important. And so it must be God, because here we are, almost five years into this journey, and now we actually agree on something. And so, and it's actually for, it's not because of, I'm not saying that like I was right and he was wrong. It's like, we both have gone back and forth. You guys understand that. 
But now we actually agree and we see what, what God is saying. And it's almost like in all of this time, the community group concept was not something God was building. Can I just put it that way? That he was building other things in our foundation. And now it's time to build this thing. And so with, with gusto and excitement and fervor and whatever adjectives, you hope, hope maybe, yeah, and all the other joy and love and peace and patience, all the other things that come with it, we're really excited about how God has brought us to a place where we're ready to take these groups, whatever they'll be called, to the next level. And so for those of you guys who have been with us for a year, you know, last year we made the decision to take the to look at community gathered around short-term studies of Bible studies, um, classes, different things like that. And it was awesome. It was what we needed for that year. And we felt like coming out of January that that was sort of closing and weren't really sure what's next. So here's what's next. I know you guys were like, tell me. We're going to be starting three different groups based around seasons and stages of life. And that doesn't mean we're not going to still do things all together. So for those of you guys that are big includers or big group picture, don't freak out. Um, we're still going to do things all together. But what we're going to be looking at is a group for younger people in their 20-somethings, and then a group for people with kids in the home, and then a group for people that are empty nesters. And we're coming up with a great name. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be great because the latter days are better than the former. Amen? Um, and so just we be patient. It's probably going to take us a couple weeks to iron out the details of how this is going to work out, but that's what's coming. And so I wanted to share that in regards to this message today, because here's what I see moving forward is as we are growing, there needs to be really set places for people to jump in right? A really obvious place where this is happening on a regular basis. And if you are, this, you can find like-minded people here kind of thing. We are going to work really hard to continue to do events and community nights and stuff like that where everybody comes together because the heart of our church is a multi-generational church and we, we want that to stay, right? So that's part of been the journey of going. If you break into groups like this, at any point in the past, I think we may have missed out on some of the beauty of the multi-generationalness that we have. So those are the two hands we're going to try to continue to balance as we walk forward. So that is coming. Um, we'll give you more details on that in the future. But I, what I would love to do, we've got a, a, just a few minutes left, and what I would love to do is to take some time to really pray into community and from two perspectives. Number one, as we were in pre-service prayer this morning, I felt like the Lord had started just highlighting the reality that a lot of us are bringing something to the table, some sort of baggage to the table of community, okay? That is not something that's wrong with you if that's true. I mean, it's true for me in different seasons as well. So I want to be really honest and say, if that's what's in your heart, own that. Value it. Let's deal with it right? Because if you feel that uh, in you of, I don't want to get close to people, that's a red flag because you're made to be in community. Are you made to be this acts to every single day community? Maybe by nature or maybe through the miraculous work of God. That's part of the miracle, honestly, is that people who wouldn't normally do that were doing that. To me, that's one of the things that I see there. So when God comes on the plane, it doesn't matter what your personality type is like, you can jump in and be, you know, linked arms together. So I want to pray over anybody, and I, we're not necessarily going to make you raise your hand, but we're going to be praying into those that are here that have that like, ah, like the pressure in your chest, maybe the sweats, 
you know, depending on how bad the situation was, you know, and that, or that hesitation of like, I don't really want people to get close to me because I don't want to be hurt again. And that's a valid feeling again, but we're going to pray over that. And then the other thing I want to pray is I just, I do, we both Grant and I just really feel like this is the season for these groups to fly and to flourish. And I want to just bathe that in prayer. You guys up for that? Like, it's going to have to be a miracle. I'm just saying, like, I know all of you pretty much. I don't know all of you, but I know most of you pretty well. And so, you know, we're going to need God to come and and breathe on the introvertedness and on the um, individualness so that we can have some great groups. You guys with me? So she's going to play some music, and we're just going to take a second. And I I want you to just, first, we're going to just, in your own heart, Lord, can I, what can I offer to you, right? Like if there's pain, if there's frustration, if there's a hurt in the past, just offer that to the Lord. God, teach me how to look forward and not look back. Those kinds of prayers will take a minute of just dealing with yourself, and then we'll move into praying 